0: one and we are recording and as if mr morley mr jefferson Morley's given me a cheat sheet he's got all of his books on the shelf behind him so i don't have to forget <laughs> but i've interviewed you for all of them and i won't even look at the screen i've talked to you about yeah. our man in mexico and i've talked to you about the ghost cia spymaster james jesus Angleton and scorpions dance i know it all i did my homework, yeah, trying, to pull did homework. trying to pull a Unlike- fast one on me
1: Unlike some podcast hosts. Unlike yeah, some podcast
0: hosts. It's, hey man, if you're going to have a guest on, you're going to have an author give you an hour of their time, read the book. It's, it's, it's on Audible. You don't even have to read it. Put an yeah. email, pro tip for all the podcasters out there, email a guest two weeks out. They say, yes, get the book, listen to an hour a day, listen on 2x speed.
1: I, mean, I thought it was unbelievable when Joe Rogan had Ed Snowden on. Oh yeah. And he said, oh, I, I haven't read your book. But talk to me anyway. I I was like, "What a lazy sob you are!"
0: There's and like I guess you can do that when you've got the biggest show. But to me, it's like
1: you don't. To me, it was
0: embarrassing. Well, you don't want to have to. You don't want to do that because you're the biggest podcast in the world. Like that's kind of shitty, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's have have them on read the book. It's I mean seriously. I don't. I'm not even saying this sarcastically. If a book is ten hours on Audible that's probably average 10 20 hours yeah. listen to it on 2x speed listen to it for an hour a day i wake yeah. up in the morning make your bed go to the gym hit the treadmill weights come back shower by the time you are out a shower it's been an hour listen at 2x speed you've knocked out two hours that's yeah. how you go through a book and it's but enough of us bashing on on other people and uh
1: yeah what do you want to talk about today
0: well, I'd like to talk about okay. the book and, uh, well, you've been on here for our man in Mexico and you've also been on here twice for the ghost James Angleton, which I talk about all of the time. And, yeah. uh, the beauty of this podcast is, uh, I'm not lying. You can go back and find my near obsessive behavior with the ghost with Raven rock and with a couple of other books that I cite all the time. Um, yeah. but, uh, for scorpions dance, I do. And I don't know if this was your, your intention. Um, and so, as always, uh, I speak for myself and not the author. The author is their own mm-hmm. person; they don't need they don't co sign what I say. I do think, in an odd way, it was almost a sequel to the ghost in that, in many ways, it pointed toward the ghost pointed towards JFK being perceived as a threat to democracy. And was there or was there not a almost Shakespearean removal of the king? right scorpion's dance shows that and almost an evolution to where you don't need a bullet in dallas <laughs> there's too mm-hmm. many eyeballs on that you can do it you can weave it a little better it's more mm-hmm. of a it's a lot less it's a lot less visceral like as you say in the book there's a film the corona of blood right it's a lot different when it's a couple burglars and just the the iconic peace sign going back to uh, to Marine One. It almost seems like it was a, it's a sequel in that.
1: In well, my, let me sure. let me let me let me respond to that because yeah. it, it is a sequel of sorts. And my three CIA books are. I didn't set out to do this, but I realized it is a trilogy of spies. Our Man in Mexico is about Winston Scott, mm-hmm. top man in Mexico in the 1960s, and he epitomizes the CIA as pro-consul. You know, a CIA guy who was very powerful behind the scenes in a big country like Mexico. The ghost about James Angleton is about who was counterintelligence chief um, from 1954 to 1974. And that Angleton epitomizes the spy as intellectual. You know, he was a creative, paranoid thinker, but, you know, thought outside the box, definitely. And then Scorpion's Dance, in in, in some ways, uh, is a... Uh, a biography of Richard Helms, uh, CIA director, <clears throat> and also a friend of Win Scotts and James Angleton. So three men from the founding generation of the CIA: uh, Scott, the CIA man as proconsul; Angleton, the CIA man as intellectual; and Dick Helms, the CIA man, the spy as bureaucrat. Right, and they they each epitomize those styles so so yeah the the book does follow a chronological pre, uh or you know it does cover the same territory and it is a progression when it comes to jfk because the scorpion stance really focuses on the nick the relationship between richard helms uh the eighth director of the cia and richard nixon the 35th president and um the jfk assassination becomes a subtext mm-hmm. between them um with 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 uh Nixon probing Helms to give him reports on what he called the whole Bay of of Pigs Pigs thing thing. yeah so so um so I think that you know in the first book Our Man in Mexico we see how Winscott reacts to the Kennedy assassination in Mexico where Oswald has visited and and, and Scott knows something about the accused assassin. Then with Angleton, we see the machinations that follow the assassination, where he withholds the, the CIA's uh, deep and abiding interest in the supposed lone nut, Lee Oswald, from the Warren Commission and, and seeks to, in his own words, wait out the Warren Commission. And then we see with Helms, Helms parrying, deflecting, dodging, Nixon's demands for, for documents on the whole Bay of Pigs thing and the, and the, and, and the tension over the JFK story and, 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 and how it's still relevant really explodes after the Watergate break-in when Nixon threatens Helms and says, if he doesn't help him with the cover-up um, it could blow the whole Bay of Pigs thing. And so that subtext of how the assassination took place in the eyes of the CIA in the first two books and now what was the legacy what was the aftermath of the assassination at the highest levels of power you know and behind closed doors where men of power like helms and nixon i wouldn't say they were honest with each other but you know they were more they were more blunt and they're and they were wielding power against each other so that's how i think that's how i think that scorpion's dance is a sequel to to these other books now I, I, I gather from the tenor of your remarks that you were saying that somehow like the CIA removed Richard Nixon from the scene. Is that, was it, that your, was that your implication?
0: Loosely in the same way that the ghost, there's not a definitive, the CIA did it. it it's more so like you show that you lay out the framework that there is fertile ground for that idea to grow, you're not saying that the, if that idea is a plant, you're not saying it's there. You're just saying all the nitrogen and the water and the sunlight's there. Kind of do your own thing. In Scorpions Dance, you do see it as sort of a well, one. It's almost not to not to hold water for the CIA, but it's almost like they're putting a spot. If Nixon's saying you know the whole Bay of Pig things, the whole Bay of Pigs thing, well now you're kind of like it is your first day in prison, and somebody's going to come in and punch the biggest neo Nazi that guy's either gonna make a name for himself or you gotta knock out the new guy. You're kind of putting a a fight or flight area, and I don't really see the the men of the c i a taking the whole flight area so I say that to say, I wouldn't necessarily say that's the intention. it's more so like you're laying in my again in my opinion you're sort of saying the groundwork is there. You have this guy allegedly threatening you know the cover up of all cover ups. And then he gets removed. Now, does that mean? Yeah,
1: yeah OK. OK. So yeah, that, in that so way. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it's very hard to to know exactly what's going on between Nixon and Helms because they are so devious. And, and not only do they lie, but they, they don't say, you know, they're masters of omission. But, um, I mean, I don't think that Dick Helms was unhappy with Richard Nixon as president. Sure. To the contrary, I think Nick, Helms thought Nixon was a good president and preferable to all the alternatives out there. So, you know, the idea—yeah, there were real tensions between Nixon and Helms, but that doesn't mean that Nixon's downfall was the result of you know a CIA machinations. I, I, I mean, I think it's more complicated than that. I, I, I would put it that way. I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily draw that inference that, you know the cia got rid of nixon I, I would people should read the book because you know it, it is a very tricky murky milieu where these guys operate and you know there's a lot of things that we, you know that we don't know i took my best shot at kind of describing what i think the evidence is and just letting that be there and you know not you know it could be interpreted different ways so
0: well again much like the ghost you 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 put it all there and it's almost like it's like you put a couple it's like you put a couple Lego pieces and you're like you could build like a car you might build a plane I I don't know here are the pieces that's what I mean by it is you lay the fertile ground and again yeah read the book. you might read the book and go Tommy is insane what are you talking about so again read the book but I think it's more of a I don't think it's as clear-cut as the CIA removed Nixon it almost seems like you have these fiefdoms behind closed. And you do talk about it, right? At one point, it's like Nixon's starting to trust the bastard. Like, so you do see this. And yeah, Nixon. Yes, you know...
1: No, and I think I, I actually think that's a very good way to look at it. Because the way I understand Washington politics is um, the study of factions. Oh, and, yeah. It's all and, fiefdoms. And, 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 and so um, the White House and the CIA are independent power centers that, you know, that maintain their interests. They have to work together. I mean, they're designed to work together. They're mutually dependent, but they are also independent organizations that have their own, you know, their own traditions, their own needs, their own defenses. And those are definitely in play because, you know, Helms was loyal to Nixon, but I think that 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 threat of blackmail, which is what, when Nixon said, this is going to blow the whole Bay of Pigs thing, you know, helms was furious when he heard it and understandably so because it was blackmail. yeah he was saying you guys are vulnerable on this you don't want it to come out so you better do what i say but well if people didn't you know boss dick helms around even presidents and so their relationship begins to deteriorate after that for sure um but i think at that point um Helms was just looking for a clean exit. He had a lot of, uh, you know, he had a lot to worry about and um he wanted to get out of get out of Washington and not be tarred by the Watergate scandal. Yeah. So when Nixon forces him to resign, fires him at Camp David in November 1972 about 5 months after the break-in, Helms is in a position to bargain and you know, Nixon can't get rid of him, can't get rid of him in anger and so uh he gives him the consolation prize of an ambassadorship yeah. and that gives helms a nice out a dignified exit he's not fired he's not connected with the scandal um and uh and he's not connected with nixon anymore who i think helms understood was a you know was a sinking ship at that point
0: yeah, yeah there's almost uh there's almost two there's probably more but there's almost two ways to look at it and it's um it's that nixon sort of pulled that Nixon pulled an insult on, like you know, on his homie. Almost, it's mm-hmm. like your close friend. It'd be like if, uh, like in college, I lived with some guys that I'd known since middle school, high school, and sure, we'd argue, we'd get in fights, but it'd almost be like if you went so far as to say, like, dude, if you don't help me out, like I'm gonna like tell the like I'm gonna I'm gonna like call in an anonymous tip that you have weed in your room. That would be <laughs> such an overstep of like all, <laughs> not even bro code, like friend code, right? right. right. So that itself is a threat. Now let's move one step further. It might not even have been Helms going. Oh no, he's going to dig up, uh, you know, about the whole Bay of Pigs thing, JFK. That might not even have existed. Helms might have been like that. Really was Lee Harvey? But the fact that you even made that insult,
1: yeah, no, no, and I I I, 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 I think I, I think that's that's exactly right. I mean, Helms did have a lot to hide. There was a whole bunch of a big part of the Oswald story, which I tell in the ghost about how much they knew about this guy that was completely hidden from the public and the Warren Commission. And and Helms wanted to keep it that way. You know, he wanted to keep the very simplified version of Kennedy's assassination. And he took that story to his grave. He had a lot to worry about. But yeah, I mean, the factuality of it was Nixon really going to, you know, expose jfk you know the cia's connection to jfk I, I i don't think helms had to worry about that it was the fact that that nixon attempted it you know that had to be disturbing to him
0: yeah it would be like um i chat with all the guests for like a minute or two before we start recording yeah. right it'd be yeah. like if we just had the chat we had where it was like yeah just make sure the internet's working blah blah. blah. okay we're good it'd be like if we were doing a podcast and later on you were like I'll release what you said pre recording. Yeah. (laughs) I'd be like, I didn't even say anything, but okay, Mr. (laughs) Morley, just show me you you just you just showed me your true colors, right? And that itself would be grounds for hostile action. And you said earlier, they're masters of omission. Again, the very act of Nixon just saying that. Well, now you have helms. Why am I even gonna help you then? Why would I even help you? I'll just not say anything.
1: Yeah. You know, well, I think one of the one of the key points of the book is this complicated relationship between two very different men. <clears throat> Richard Helms, the urbane spy chief, and Dick Nixon, the populist right winger
0: mm-hmm. from
1: the West Coast. One's from the West Coast, one's from the East Coast. Um, you know, one's one's very smooth and the other's very awkward, you know. Um uh and so helms manages to make it work and i think that's one of the most interesting things about him was he was extremely supple he, he was a man who had a wide range of friends you know eugene mccarthy the liberal senator was a friend of dick helms so was so was richard russell the you know arch racist from segregationist from georgia helms was very smooth and you know i interviewed people who knew dick helms and you know they just loved the guy sure you know? he was a, he was an impressive you know, uh, uh, he was an impressive man, you know, very knowledgeable, uh, very poised, um, and, you know, I think Kissinger said, you know, he, he, he wasn't afraid to let you know that he knew more than you knew. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, but, you know, but here's, here's Helms, and he manages to get along with Kissinger, who was a, you know, a very, didn't treat his rivals well yeah. you know a very ambitious guy who would kneecap anybody who threatened his access oh. to nixon oh yeah um and, and and nixon himself you know a twisted and bitter man um, with a lot of resentments and insecurities um especially towards east coast cosmopolitans like helms and uh and helms manages these relationships and, and stays in and helms is to this day helms is one of the longest serving cia directors close to seven years you know so so he is a canny man who knew how to manage power and that's one of the big subtexts or one of the big themes of scorpion stance
0: yeah you don't get you don't get to that that position by being an idiot you got to be able to butter up anybody and win them over and let them yeah. and about kissinger isn't that kissinger quote though uh it's dangerous to be the United, an enemy of the United States. It's fatal to be an ally. I mean, <laughs> if that's not Kissinger in a nutshell. Um, but yeah, he talked about in the book, which I had never read before, Um, you know, Nixon, you know, Henry, will you pray with me? And he's crying and please don't let anybody know I was weak. Garrett Graff goes into his book, uh, Raven Rock, about continuity of government. Kissinger was actually one of the ones that pushed for Nixon not having the nuclear football on his final air force one flight home. Cause he said he was drinking a lot and was emotionally unstable. And then you really kind of, you, again, you provide the evidence of like, right. you see Kissinger looking at this and kissing, he just imagined Kissinger nodding. And in his mind, he's like, this guy should not have access to the nuclear triad. Yeah. I don't know, man. Um, to kind of pivot another thing from your sure. book that, that I had never read before um was that Truman, a month to the day after JFK was popped, and Truman who signed the National Security Act of 1947 with the creation of the CIA, he said we should take another look at the CIA along
1: those along those lines. That, that He went farther. He said we should abolish the clandestine service, which is not all of the CIA, but the heart of it. When, when people say the CIA, they are usually referring to the operations division of the CIA. There's a there's a directorate Analyst of, in, and then... of, of of intelligence or anal, analysis, as they say. Um, there's a directorate of science and technology. There's a directorate of administration. There's a directorate of operations. The directorate of operations is the clandestine service. It's not the entire CIA. Gotcha. And what Truman said was, we should abolish the operations directorate one month to the day after Kennedy was killed. Now. Truman never explained why he believed, why, no, he never explained that that had any connection with Kennedy's assassination. But the, the coincidence is just too much. It, it has to be that. He started, we do know that he started writing that op-ed that appeared in the, in the Washington Post on December 22nd, 1963. We know that he started writing it on December 9th. That was the day the FBI report came out, which said the president was killed by a lone nut. Hmm. So Truman's response to that initial finding was, "We need to abolish the CIA," and it's a very telling comment, which Helm said was quite shocking to people at the CIA at the time. Um, and Dallin Dulles tries to goes to. Truman and tries to talk him out of it and to get him to repudiate it and Truman won't do it he repeats it to another reporter um in June of 1964 so so you know Truman's response to Kennedy assassination was something has gone very wrong at the CIA that's a very telling response from the guy who created this CIA
0: a lot a lot of bold bold facts there the guy that created it started writing it on the day of the fbi finding so it's almost yeah. like you see something in the news and i'm writing this i'm starting this the day <laughs> x happens and then i th- it will take some liberty. but i mean a month to the day like
1: that is well something. he might not he might not have had any control over that um, sure. you know um sure.
0: uh, but it also uh, wasn't a time of social media like you do did kind of you know the gears had to get turning to get something published.
1: Yeah, but 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 the fact that he did it and, and, and placed it in the post meant that he, you know he wanted to be heard. He wanted his yeah. point of view to be heard. Now at that time, you know, people forget because we have a pretty you know Truman is rated high by historians as a as a president. But you know, don't forget he he, he didn't run for re-election in 1952 mm-hmm. because he was so unpopular. And I mean, few presidents have sunk as low as Truman did in 1952 in terms of popularity. Mm. And so, you know, in 1963, Harry Truman no longer embodied it was the Democratic Party of Adley Stevenson, John Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson. It was no longer the party of Harry Harry Truman, if if it ever was. So Truman was ignored at that time, but it was a very telling response to Kennedy's assassination and like helm said it was shocking to people who were working at the cia at the time
0: there's also and i guess it's ballsy of me to say this because my dad's dad was 18 and staging in the philippines to go be part of the first wave meat grinder of the invasion of mainland japan so i always have to take the side of like the guy that dropped the a-bomb because i probably wouldn't (laughs) be here that being said you can almost draw some some ironies from that is um Truman talked about how Oppenheimer came to his office after the war and was like, we have blood on our hands. And Oppenheimer said something along the lines of like, I have blood on my hands, like basically like get the fuck out. And he's like, never let that guy. I think he said offhand, excuse my French. Don't let that guy back in the office. I have blood on my hands. I dropped it. It's easy for these guys to say this because they're detached. They're not part of the administrative, you know, actually doing it. You can kind of almost see that echo in that it's a little safe. There is some safety in saying abolish the CIA when you've been out of office for a decade, when you're just... You're not JFK saying splinter into a thousand pieces and scatter to the wind. There's a little keyboard warrior, you know. You got a little mojo that it's maybe not yours. to Anyone can yell an insult from a moving car kind of no. thing versus, like, get out of the car and go say it to somebody. So...
1: Well, I I—you know—I mean, I, I, you know, uh, I mean, I don't think that Truman thought that, okay, I don't think that Truman thought the CIA should be abolished. He, he made some interesting comments, qu- quite critical of the CIA after the Bay of Pigs, um, in which he said that he felt that the CIA had forced Kennedy's hand and put the president in a, in a bad position. And he, he uh, unlike a lot of people at the CIA, he sided with Kennedy in terms of his handling of uh of, of of the bay of pigs and in terms of his skepticism b- about the cia so i don't but i don't think that that truman decided the cia had been abolished until kennedy was killed i think that's the thing that made the difference
0: oh all right so th- th- that's a good point and it is the uh, specifically the clandestine service i've had on a cia veteran ray mcgovern several times before and he talks about uh, they go in and he was like, we were literally every, there was a bifurcation of like operators to the right and like analysts to the left. He's like, these are separate things. So yeah. I think that's a, that's an important clarification. It is the quote unquote black ops that these guys are talking about getting rid of.
1: Right. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, I just to clarify right. the point a little bit. So people understand how it's, you know, it, it, it's not, it's not like a, you know, a brick wall between the two because they share classified information. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The information that the operatives obtain, not always, but, you know, goes into the agency's record keeping system. And the analysis of the analyst side is used by the people on the operation side. So information goes both ways. Absolutely. But the operation side is compartmentalized and in a way that the analysts get some insight into, but they're not always cleared into CIA operations. In fact, usually if they had no need to know, they wouldn't be and they are not.
0: Yeah, compartmentalization is the name of the game. Yeah, there is. It is just another puzzle piece again, where you can draw your own conclusions and don't don't take mine. Read the book and go do your own research. But it is odd because you almost have this sort of like inertia, right? You have Truman; he takes takes the you know takes the reins. FDR dies during the during the height of the war takes the reins, drops the A-bomb, and there's there's sort of like, it's like sprinting through a finish line. It takes a couple, it takes 10, 20 yards to sort of slow down. You see that with Eisenhower talking about the military-industrial complex, right? We built this thing to conquer the, the Imperial Japanese and Nazi Germany, and then afterwards, it's like, hey, guys, we still got this. We got this beast machine that maybe we don't need or maybe we don't want. You can almost imagine... That might have played into Truman, where it's we have this. It's right after World War II. It's two years after. Yeah, we need a National Security Act. Like we, this cannot happen again. Just two years ago, we're taking pictures of of bodies stacked in Auschwitz. Like you're in this sort of adrenaline. Like this can never happen again. Yeah. Lock it down.
1: <clears throat> yeah, the yeah the, the fear of World War Three was very acute. Correct. Uh, starting in 1947, but it's worth yeah. noting too in this conversation. When in September nineteen forty-five, the de- the first decision came to Truman um, about the Office of Strategic Services. Yeah. So, so the war in Europe had ended in May. The war in Asia ended in August, and so the war was over. World War II was was definitively over, and the question was what to do with the Office of Strategic Services, the first U.S. foreign intelligence agency, and. Truman abolished it. Yeah, you're um, right. Uh, and a lot of people were saying, "Well, we, we're going to need a, we're going to need a, a, a secret service. We're going to need an intelligence agency." And Truman said, "No," and he said in in his comments, "He said, we don't want an American Gestapo. Gestapo."
0: I completely that. What Truman was worried way.
1: about, and other people were worried about, was the example of the secret police in Germany, where the Gestapo, you know, did control political discourse and did you know suppress. Um, and destroy the you know political opposition, and so that that message, or, you know, that lesson was very clear in Truman's mind, and so he said, "We don't want that. We don't we don't want a peacetime intelligence agency. It's too dangerous." Two years later, he'd been in the confrontation with the Soviet Union is deepening. There's a crisis in in Greece, with the Greek Civil War, um, uh, and there's fears of Europe going communist. Um, uh, the Soviet Union is you know, closing in on the atomic bomb. And at that point, Truman changes his mind. And he says, I'm president, I need an independent source of information. I can't rely on, you know, uh, the generals. I can't rely on the State Department. I, I need an independent source of information. And Truman made very clear, that's why he wanted the CIA so that the president could make judgments about, you know, important policy decisions with a sound, you know, factual knowledge. When Truman calls for the abolition of the CIA, he says, you know, we need that function. We do need the president, does need a quality source of independent source of information, but we don't need all of these strange operations. That was that was what Truman's phrase. And and these strange operations, he said, are bad for America's reputation, and they've cast a shadow on the working of American democracy. And I think that's a nice image because I think. Truman's piece casts a shadow on the JFK story, and mm-hmm. it tells us something about it. Uh, it's you know it's not it's not something that illuminates the story, but it's a shadow that you see and you understand something a little bit better when you see it.
0: I had a total mental slip and completely forgot that Truman had originally abolished the OSS that c- throws a complete wrench into my logic of that inert because you're right. The war ended and he was like no no inertia destroy it he was the original splinter right and then you get wild bill donovan that's like we still need it and then the first whoever the first director was roscoe hill
1: and keeter right no and 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 the the truman's original conception of the cia was that it would be controlled by military men and
0: that's
1: why he and 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 that's why the first couple of cia directors were were military men uh it wasn't until alan Douglas came uh, that uh, you had a civilian director in 1952,
0: so, so then, but the story doesn't end, right? I mean, this that was the end of the book, but where does this where does this go? It's because history still goes forward. Now, obviously, there's a hard time writing history, especially about the CIA, because there there's that uh there's almost that like uh that delay of declassification like a shockwave and then hearing it, it's, it's probably hard to, to write, you know, hyper. Well, right. And I
1: mean, and I mean, I never could have written my book t- even 20 years ago, no. you know, because uh, a lot of what I was trying to c- uncover was what was new in the Watergate story, what was new in the, in the biography of, 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 of Helms and Nixon, um, you know, and that stuff was not on the record 20 years ago or a lot of it. Yeah. So,
0: in terms of how does this shift your your perception of not just we'll just stick with United States politics um about the whole fiefdom thing uh, i interviewed uh last year Vince Sheffalo, his former undercover ATF and a great book called rat snakes mm-hmm. all about neo nazis and uh, the Klan and and you know bikers and what mm-hmm. assembling guns back before 3d print whatever but it was really cool because primarily It moved my juvenile viewpoint of like, you know, you go to work and have your nine to five, like the cops, police society. And then like the CIA looks abroad and the president does whatever, you know, pardons the turkey. And I start to see it more of like you look under the hood and it was all fiefdoms and it was the FBI and the DEA, not just federal fiefdoms, but then you have the quote unquote bad guy fiefdoms and you had to control the different fiefdoms because they all had their you have the bikers here, then you have the Klan in Georgia, and then you have the Black Panthers and wherever. And I start to view it more as like you zoom in on Google Earth to the nation, and then all of a sudden you see a bunch of states, and you're like, wait, what are those? And you zoom in, and then you see a bunch of counties, and you're like, what are these? And it's how does that change your perception about the machinations of Washington, where you do start to see like these are very powerful. Like,
1: well, yeah, I mean, and and so what you have to do is, you know, you have to look at the self-serving narratives that these institutions put out, how they justify themselves, how they get their budgets. Right? It's all about a competition for money and authority um, in Washington. So I've always looked at factional, you know, the stu- look at politics as the study of factions just because you know that's the way power works and um so that doesn't mean that you know the three branches of government and constitution you know all of that aren't important but those are superficial narratives myths really yeah. that we buy into in order yeah. to make public life and democratic life possible but if you look at the struggle for power okay and that's what that's what Scorpion's Dance is about. It's about the struggle for power between Nixon and Helms and how each, of, each man manages their power. You know, it's not just two individuals, right? It's two guys who are representing and who embody institutions. So their personalities matter a lot, you know, but the way that they define themselves, the way that they define their interests are very much shaped by the institutions. Um, And what both men found out during Watergate was, you know, that the cultural change that comes in the 60s, the coming of the counterculture, um, uh, changes people's attitudes about government radically. The, The transformation of American public opinion between 1964 and 1974 is amazing. In 1964, the CIA is popular. They're the good guys. They can do whatever they want. Nobody's going to ask any questions. From right to left, that's pretty much the consensus. In 1974, the CIA has been exposed, manip- you know, being involved in domestic politics, spying, assassinations, True. mind control experiments, and the CIA is is a virtual pariah, or certainly comes in for a real, you know, thrashing in public opinion, um, and and they really have to change their ways. And so, you know. Nixon and Helms are defending their institutions at a time of deep cultural change where both the presidency and the CIA are, are are being drastically radically reevaluated by, you know, the mainstream, not the fringe, the mainstream of American politics.
0: There is that sort of like, I don't know what word I would say. It, it fogs up the, the clarity of, 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 uh, of looking in hindsight yeah. really does sort of screw with your ability to accept the gravity of what was happening at the time. It's very easy when you have these dates that are solidified and you learned about them in a textbook and social studies. Like, check well, this is VE day and this is VJ day, and then the president won, and Dewey defeats Truman, and LOL, and JFK, Vietnam, and you just learn it. It's all very neat. It's like a Netflix series, you have one episode and the other. But then you look back at it, and it's just how drastic between 45 and 75 from, you know, the, you know, the soldiers coming home and kissing the nurse in Times Square or whatever. And then it's 30 years later. It's like one president's been shot. Another said that there's a military industrial complex. We have the the Cuban missile crisis. It's coming out in the church committee that like, oh, not only do we have heart attack guns, we're also manipulating people through mind control. And that's before. Yeah, and, and, to, and,
1: and, paper clip. <laughs> and, and 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 we lost a war yeah to a peasant army you yeah, know farmers yeah yeah with they didn't even have an air force and they beat us you know yeah. it was like talk about a crisis of confidence yeah. so yeah so from 45 to 75 is a key mm-hmm. arc in you know in 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 post-war american history and all three of my books are really about yeah. that arc
0: well, that's what I want to ask is so someone like you who is so immersed in it and so well versed in it, I would imagine and maybe not, but I would imagine you it almost gives you a a more steady hand when looking at the world today where someone like myself is like, oh, my God, you know, there's a you know, the, we're going to have nuclear war in Europe and then this and then that and then society's doing this and Facebook well, censoring people versus like, <laughs> dude, we've 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 been around the block like
1: well i mean you know yeah you, you do being an old guy like me you do have that sense of you know this more of a study been angle. in crisis before i mean and when people you know people are kind of jittery panic. like is the country going to survive you know this tough time we're in you know the, the late 1960s had a similar feel to it you know like people didn't know how the movie was going to end and yeah. the old certainties that people had going in all of a sudden, they thought, "No, that's it's not that doesn't apply anymore." So, we have been in a situation before, you know, a crisis of democracy that we're that we're in right now. We had a, a pretty similar, not similar, but we had a, an equally profound crisis of institutions in the late 1960s. So, maybe that gives us, you know, some hope that you know that we can overcome these. I think what it what it gives me is it makes me very humble and yeah. you, know, you don't know what's around the corner. And, and I'm not sure that, you know, studying it after 40 years, I have, maybe I have less certainty, oh, good. you know, precisely because, because, because I, because I, maybe I know, I, I know too much and it's hard to, it's it's hard to say. I mean, the, the study of history does give you a little more confidence about I I think it's the the patterns of power, um, because if you look at, you know, history, like, um, you know, times change, but, you know, fundamental issues don't. The book, my other book, Snowstorm in August, not about the CIA, about Washington in the 1830s, completely oh. different type, type of history. Um, and it's about how the anti, what happened when the anti-slavery movement came to Washington, 25 years before the civil war and what you see at that time is a division in the country very much like the red blue division now right down to the geographical you know lines the red states in the south and west the blue states in the midwest and northeast um and so you know in that book that happened 180 years ago but the racial dynamic um in american politics you know the, the same one that we see today was at work at that time and mm-hmm. and so you really do see a similar pattern and when that kind of thing recurs then you know i think you have to respect that and and yeah. and, 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 and and take notice of that and uh you know somebody mark twain said history doesn't repeat itself at it rhyme. oh, rhymes yeah and so you know looking for the rhyming in history that's the that's the challenge
0: gotcha so, yeah it, it is humbling it's, yeah. it's always humbling especially yeah, when you look at things and even just 50 years ago 80 years ago and you go do i really have the the gall to say that i live in the most interesting time and you're like <laughs> to me the cuban missile crisis to jfk getting shot like those 13 months to me are melt your mind and oh, yeah a bunch of a bunch of greatest generation coming home and then their kids have hair down to their asses and they're seeing yeah. the Beatles taking ls they must have thought it was demonic possession i mean it was you know it was unheard of to you know like kiss a girl before the you know before you're, <laughs> uh, it was like and yeah no
1: no and, I, and so when i talk about you know w- you know we've we've lived through destabilizing times before you know the nineteen sixties was very destabilizing in a in a very similar way that we feel destabilized today.
0: Yeah. And then yeah, you, and then you go back a century prior to that, where there was a literal war. A a literal civil war, not just term.
1: Right. And 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 they were fighting, you know, in the suburbs of Washington. You know, yeah. I can I can go take the metro out to Manassas now. Oh yeah. You know? Um and uh so yeah, so we've we 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 have been in crisis before.
0: Yeah, and I know I know I gotta let you go, but uh, yeah, I went to the University of Georgia, which is the oldest public uh, college in the United States, and there was a building right near the like the, the earliest part of campus you could go to. And I forget what it is now, but it was a debate hall where I mean, at the time they were debating like Obamacare, but it was like yeah. there was a history of like they debated the pro and anti slavery movement here, and I uh-huh. was just like that always humbled me a bit where I was like, hold on. Like, this is, you're in a, you're in a big, big ocean of history. Like <laughs> I understand where you are. Um, yeah. what, what was the name of the snowstorm in August? Snowstorm in August. Yeah. Dude, I'd love to have you on for that. Cause we've done our men in Mexico. We've done the ghost and we've done scorpions dance. I, I'll be honest. Well,
1: I it, really that uh, a total change of pace, but yeah. in some ways, um uh, uh, a book I really like because it has a lot of, I mean, frankly, it's melodramatic. There's, there, you know, there's, there's a chase scene. Yeah. There's a, uh, a guy on the gallows, you know, there's a, um, a, 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 a three courtroom trials that are, you know, sensational each in their own way. Um, and uh, uh, interesting characters, uh, you know, an older woman, a mixed race guy, uh, a slave um uh, a politician um and so yeah uh listen to the book there's a good audiobook version of it uh if you want and uh I'd love to talk about that I love that book
0: I'd love to man do, yeah let's definitely change up let's change the let's maybe we'll move away from the the gravitational black hole that is that is JFK although I love it and your books are fantastic <laughs> I'm cuz I actually I know very little about that I'm learning history sort of going backwards in 2018. Uh, I really started looking into the cold war and I've been moving for, I'm just now getting back to like the thirties f- and twenties and yeah, I'm down <laughs> to go. It's, I, I, it's, it's unknown territory. Um, But I've kept you longer than I said I would. And so we'll wrap this one up, Mr. Jefferson Morley. I will put the description to the book. I'll put the link to the book in the description. Good Lord. And uh, check it out. It's, it's, it is, it is the, it is a Shakespearean, you do realize that it's all just fiefdoms under, again, the the public, the conscious myth that we all agree to of, oh, there's just these three branches and nine to five and then you retire. And it's like there is a war going on <laughs> behind the scenes, covert, and the, not so covert all the time, yeah, all the time. Mr. Morley, yet again, thank you so much. You're a fantastic author. I wouldn't keep having you on if I didn't love your work. You're a cool guy. I'll put the link to the book in the description. Please go get it, guys. It's a 12 it's hour lesson. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. I'll email you about the next episode.
1: Tommy, thanks, thanks for having me. I look forward to talking again.
0: Yes, sir. Thank-